You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Happy day before the trade deadline to you. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and could be an action-packed day today. Uh, We've got one trade already. If you don't know about it, I'll uh, fill you in on that one. Maybe a second trade coming along. And, of course, we're about to uh, begin a full slate of action today. Uh, So... uh, Lots of uh, games about to get started. We'll have lineups coming in. Uh, lots of stuff to go over from uh, Saturday. So all kinds of things to keep track of. Uh, but the big story, uh, at least so far, is the, Amy's, the Yankees <laughs> acquiring Jaime Garcia uh, from the Twins for minor league pitcher Zach Littell and Dietrich Enns. So uh, a very, very short stay with the Twins for uh, Jaime Garcia. Uh, But uh, as far as the Yankees go, they're working on a potential Sonny Gray deal with the A's. So uh, the word from FanRag's own John Heyman is that if that deal does go through and both sides are optimistic that it will, that Garcia will then convert to long relief. So a lot hanging in the balance there for the Yankees with that uh, potential Sonny Gray deal. And Sonny Gray not starting today as originally scheduled for Oakland. So a um, lot uh, that could be in flux as we go along. But anyway, stick around, catch up on the rest of the news and uh, some recent standout performances right after this break. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And this could be a very fun show because already we have another trade. I have another trade to uh, to tell you about. So we've already had the Jaime Garcia deal from the Twins to the Yankees. Uh, this is not the Sunny Gray trade, though. The White Sox have traded Melky Cabrera and cash considerations to the Royals. That's right, the Royals. The Royals are going for it. Uh, going back to the White Sox are uh, right-handed pitcher A.J. Puckett and left-handed pitcher Andre Davis. Uh, Puckett uh, is the number 13th ranked prospect to the Royals, uh, according to MLB.com. Uh, so uh, there you have it. And Melky Cabrera was not only in the White Sox starting lineup uh, for this afternoon's game uh, against the Indians. He was supposed to bat leadoff. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I imagine we'll be seeing a new White, new White Sox lineup uh, any moment now. I'm sure they had uh, had a plan B there. So uh, anyway, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, again, keep you posted on anything uh, else that comes along. I'm sure that's not going to be the last trade over the next uh, two hours or so that uh, I'm on the air with you here. So I will uh, definitely keep you posted on all that. But let's uh, go back to some of the other uh, developments. I did mention before the break that Sonny Gray was initially supposed to start for the A's today um, against the Twins. He has already been scratched from that start again. That's not any indication that there's been a deal done. This was done uh, much earlier in the day. Jarrell Cotton is getting the start today uh, for the athletics. So uh, make a note of that one and uh, getting to some closer news. Brad Ziegler came off the DL yesterday and already Don Mattingly has named him as the Marlins closer. And I have to admit that goes against every expectation that I had. I figured at some point Ziegler would get to close uh, with AJ Ramos now gone, uh, Kyle Bearclaw on the DL, but we had kind of an interesting scenario on Friday where the Marlins had, I believe it was a four-run lead, uh, and actually, I think going into the seventh, I think it was a tie game, but they were the home team against the Reds, and they they brought in, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was, Dustin McGowan they brought in, and then they brought in uh, Drew Steckenrider for the eighth after they had uh, scored four runs. So it was kind of sort of a, a closer-ish type of situation, even though it wasn't you know technically uh, a safe situation, either in the seventh or the eighth, uh, but... Uh, and then in the ninth, they brought in Junichi Tozawa. And so given that Ziggler, uh, it appeared, was going to be coming off the DL on Saturday, I thought, okay, well, this seems like kind of a, a dress rehearsal for what they're going to do until Ziggler's kind of ready to ramp up. So I thought it was going to be Tozawa, at least initially. But nope, already Marlins are saying it's going to be Brad Ziggler. So uh, they didn't get to test that one out on Saturday, but you know, perhaps... Uh, Perhaps today uh, we'll, we'll uh, see Brad Ziegler in the ninth inning for the Marlins if they've got a safe situation. We shall see. Anyway, he has been named the closer. We don't need <laughs> we don't need a, a dress rehearsal now. We know what the uh, the situation's going to be there. And some other trade rumorish news. Uh, this, according to the Fort Worth Star Telegram, the Rangers have been getting calls to Andrew Kashner, but are not planning on trading him. Uh, however, they are open to dealing Jonathan Lucroy. That's not really new news, but they have been in discussions with the Rockies, and that fit makes a lot of sense for both teams. I guess it depends on who's coming back to Texas. But if, if the Rangers are planning on trading Lucroy, the Rockies seem like a really would be a good fit there because um, I think Lucroy would be an upgrade uh, over their, their current options. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, from MLB.com, uh, Tyler Austin is expected to go on a rehab assignment this week after the Yankees' homestand is over. But in other Yankees' first base news, according to Buster Olney of ESPN, Greg Bird could be back as soon as the latter half of August. So basically anytime within about two weeks from right now, we could see Greg Bird back in the Yankees' lineup. That would be a pretty pretty quick return for Bird. Uh, but uh, they'll, they'll have some first-base options. I think that goes a long way towards explaining why 
the Yankees have been pretty lukewarm about the first base market. Um, so I think they'll probably just continue to go with Chase Headley for the most part for the next couple of weeks over first base. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe uh, Bird and Austin or Bird or Austin could be options within within a couple of weeks. I mean, if Austin's about to go on a rehab assignment now, I mean, maybe even less than a couple of weeks. And uh, also, according to MLB.com, the Angels are getting some calls on Bud Norris, as well as David Hernandez and Yasmero Petit. And uh, the team is open to moving any of those pitchers, perhaps all of them. So that's the the report from MLB.com. That uh, would certainly, I would think, help the uh, fantasy value of Cam Bedrosian who has been in sort of set-up limbo since coming back from the DL. So uh, Norris, a candidate to get moved. Uh, This from John Heyman, the Orioles are still open to moving Zach Britton as well as Brad Brock. However, they have told teams that Michael Givens is off-limits. So if you start to see some movement, or maybe if you just want to beat the rush uh, and assume that uh, Britton and Brock are going to be on the move, Givens, add him to the list if you don't already have him there already. Uh, add him to the list of potential uh, save options going forward. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, the Brewers have sent Junior Guerra down to AAA. So they are down to three starting pitchers. They will need to fill one of those two slots in the rotation by Tuesday. Uh, so that's just coming up. Uh, in the meantime, they've uh, brought up Wei Chung Wang. And um, I would think we probably would see Brandon Woodruff. Or maybe I'm just hoping for that. But uh, he would seem to be, I mean, they've, they've uh, you know, tried Michael Blazek in there. Um, it would seem, and, and, and it has been rumored to be Woodruff's turn. He just recently came off the DL. So there's a good deep league stash. I really like Woodruff a lot. Uh, and I think he's with those two openings, not just one, but two openings. I would think he would get a shot. I'm really not sure about the other one. Uh, maybe uh, Taylor Youngman. I'm really not sure. Not sure how they would go with that one. But um, yeah, I guess they. I haven't read or heard anything about this, but Josh Hader has been outstanding in the bullpen. He's been pitching a lot of innings. Wonder if we'd see him in the rotation, maybe this week, or if not this week. At some point this season, I would certainly like to see that. Um, but I am just completely speculating on uh, on all of this. Uh, d- just right now, seeing a piece of White Sox news come across, I'm sure this is related to the Melky Cabrera trade, that uh, they have uh, brought Lurie Garcia off of the disabled list. So uh, I guess that's how they fill the spot left by Melky Cabrera, who was just traded to the Royals. Uh, this, according to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, GM Mike Rizzo says that Steven Strasburg uh, came out of his bullpen session yesterday very well, and uh, they will reevaluate him today. So I would think that Strasburg might be in play this week. Uh, that's certainly a situation you got to keep your eye on up until the Monday lineup lock. Yesterday, Mitch Haniger took a pitch off of his face. Uh, was not as bad as it could have been. Does have an upper lip laceration. That's going to require some plastic surgery. So it's certainly not a minor thing. 
uh, and he will go on the DL, Mitch Haniger. So uh, definitely will not be able to use him uh, for the coming week. Uh, a, and now, excuse me, an MRI on Troy Tulowitzki revealed that he has ligament damage to his right ankle, this according to Sportsnet, and he is going for further evaluation by a foot and ankle specialist. Anthony Rizzo is out of the Cubs lineup today. Uh, Victor Caratini in there at first base. Rizzo's dealing with a sore back. So I would think, at least possibly, if not probably, that that uh, leaves Rizzo open to uh, being all right for the upcoming week. But uh, you know, misses a couple of days. You may need to look at some alternatives there for your first baseman or in some formats, maybe your second baseman because Rizzo with that, uh, you know, strange shift that they've been doing where he's, you know, playing kind of deep behind second base and, and he's second base eligible in a good number of leagues, Anthony Rizzo. So uh, you may need a replacement there if uh, he continues to struggle with back issues. And just a couple other quick notes here. Logan Morrison out of the Rays starting lineup again. Uh, against the Yankees, still dealing with that heel issue. And Mark Melanson is expected to begin his AAA rehab assignment today. Uh, so the time for Sam Dyson as the Giants' uh, closer uh, appears to be on the wane. Uh, so if you're a Dyson owner, gotta look, definitely look for some alternatives. Anyway, that's a wrap-up of the news for right now. I'm sure there's going to be more. Stay tuned. Uh, We'll cover whatever news comes down the pike, as well as some analysis of yesterday's performances in just a few minutes. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles, These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, over this past break, no new news. (laughs) News is uh, slowing down a bit. So that gives me a chance to tell you that you can now take the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network with you wherever you go. Just download the Fantasy Sports Radio app now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime or anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill, Benny Riccardi in the car, or Greg Sussman on the subway. Or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now on the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So uh, well, let's uh, kick this off, uh, this segment, by... Uh, Addressing a few hitters who had some notable performances on Saturday. And, uh, you know, usually I start with the two homer guys. That's a short list for this show, Eduardo Nunez. And I definitely do want to talk about Nunez, who had a really nice game. In fact, nice back-to-back games with the Red Sox in his debut uh, for them and his debut at Fenway Park. But um, 
want to focus on somebody who actually didn't really have a standout performance on Saturday. But, um, you know, if you kind of stretch it, Yasmani Grandal had a two-hit game against the Giants, and it is his third multi-hit game out of his last eight. So over that longer stretch, you could say it's a standout performance. He's gone uh, over those eight games 11 for 28 for a 393 batting average with a couple of homers and a couple of doubles. So, uh, you know, that would seem to to bode well for Grandal. I'm not sure, you know, if you just kind of take that at, fa- at face value, though, um, I'm not sure what sort of action you would take. Uh, the only one you might take is say, ah, Grandal's heating up. Maybe I should trade for him. I've got... Uh, been having a tough go at catcher all year. A lot of us could probably say that, especially in one catcher leagues, uh, having a tough go. So maybe uh, it's it's time to uh, take a take a flyer on uh, Grandal. I think not only would that be a mistake if you're the Grandal owner, I think you need to find that other owner who might be thinking that, <laughs> because uh, I've found this to be a very disappointing season for Grandal. I mean, the power has has been there not quite as much as last season but you really you can't complain too much about that but as much as i complain on this show and i think a lot of people in fantasy circles complain about the state of catching in fantasy uh i'm not sure that uh you're really getting anything all that special from grandal this year because there are a number of catchers that that hit for power or at least have the potential to uh, but don't necessarily give you a whole lot else. And the thing with Grandal that always made him a, a cut above that group, um, you know, Brian McCann's, uh, Russell Martin's, uh, those folks, is that he's always had really good plate discipline. Walks a lot, and of course, for either points leagues or OBP leagues, that's a big separator for Grandal. And even in just kind of a standard roto league. It uh, doesn't necessarily, you know, help him directly, but it, it does obviously puts him on base more and puts him in position to score more often. And in the Dodgers lineup, that is no small thing. So that's a, a, a nice skill that Grandal has had over the, the years, but not this year. I, I mean, it's really weird what's happened with Grandal this year, where he's gone from being exceptionally good at avoiding going after pitches that are outside the strike zone to being pretty bad, <laughs> being pretty bad at that. So uh, I don't know what's up with that. And maybe he gets back to his older ways over the last couple of months. But I just think that th- that's just one of a couple of warning signs. And the other warning sign is that he is hitting for a higher average this year, typically, because Grandal does not profile as someone who, um, you know, uh, should hit even for a normal BABIP. Uh, he has never been a very good line drive hitter. He hits the, he hits a lot of pop-ups. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that would make you question Grandal if he had, you know, a, even a 290-300 BABIP, which is fairly normal. His for the season is 329. So well above average. So what you're basically getting from Grandal is not very many walks, uh, a batting average that looks due to fall over the last couple of months, not maintain or increase, and some okay power. But, you know, again, in a one-catcher league, that's something that you might be able to even replace on on waivers. So, um, yeah, 
I, I, uh, I think it's a really, really good time to sell Grandal while he's boosting up that batting average with kind of a mild hot streak. So that's uh, that's my big take there on Yasmani Grandal. But let's let's get to Nunez, who I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Another big game for him. Three for six in his second game with the Red Sox with a pair of home runs, numbers five and six on the season. So he's now five for nine overall with the Red Sox over those two games. A really auspicious start. Again, just two games. But I remember way, way back, going back maybe February, March even, um, you know, back when I, I started this show, uh, we started up in February, and writing preseason pieces for FanRag Sports and, and maybe even having some conversations on this show about this, that I thought Nunez was kind of sneaky in a way because it seemed like he was a strong candidate to get traded. And when you're playing at AT and you get traded out of there, the chances are extremely good that you're going to get an upgrade in your, your home park effects. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, Fenway Park is kind of a quirky park. It's not really great for home runs, but it's unparalleled for doubles. Overall, it's it's a pretty good park for offense. It's just not always the best for homers. But that's not going to be Nunez as a strong suit anyway. But he certainly even stands a better chance to hit homers at Fenway Park, and we just saw that on Saturday with him hitting two of them. I don't think we're going to see that with any sort of regularity from Nunez, but he just, you know, he hit for decent power with the Twins before they traded him to the Giants last year. And so I remember writing about and talking about how he could be kind of a late season surger by getting out of AT&T Park and going to a team uh, that not only has a better venue, uh, but, uh, you know, a 2020 hindsight. I mean, I, I don't I don't remember thinking the Giants were going to be a bad team offensively this year. So I certainly can't claim that I had that kind of foresight but 2020 hindsight um he's not only shedding a really really bad park for hitters but you know he's shedding a team that's not very good for his run production stats and going to a team that's very good for that so big upgrade for eduardo nunez and and i'm not going to say that's absolutely reflected in these first two games i think this could happen with the giants this could happen at at&t park could happen anywhere probably the two homers would have been a lot less likely at AT&T Park, but you get the idea. Um, I'm not saying this because Eduardo Nunez is off to a great start with the Red Sox. I'm saying this because um, the the park effects just look like they were going to hold them back in San Francisco. So if he's out there in one of your leagues, uh, in, in the shallower leagues, I, I know a couple of my leagues, he's been kind of streamed on and off of waivers. So if that's the case in your league, go, go get him because the window could close very very soon on that same could be true for Odubel Herrera really the same should have been true about him probably quite a while ago because he has had a great month of July and Herrera had a very disappointing first three months of the season and I I think I've talked about this with Liz Rocher on the show Liz of course writes for um Big League Stew over on Yahoo Sports and has been a Phillies blogger for many, many years. And I remember talking to Liz about Herrera and and trying to figure out, you know, why is it that seems like owners have very little patience with him? I mean, he got dropped in a lot of leagues when he struggled in the earlier portion of the season, and they've not really come back in big numbers. And I think that's got to change. And so getting back to the perception issue, I just don't know if it's because he was a Rule 5 guy two and a half years ago 
and maybe that perception has stuck with him. I feel like the same thing happened with Shane Victorino early in his career, where fantasy owners were kind of skeptical of his early successes. And then, of course, that went on for years and years and years, and uh, and it was sort of forgotten that he was not a one-time, but a two-time Rule 5 pick. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm just really speculating here. And on some level, of course, it doesn't really matter. The point is that Herrera is still out there in a lot of leagues. I mean, pretty much universally available in 12-team mixed leagues. That that needs to change. On Saturday, Herrera went 3-for-4. He hit his 10th home run of the season against the Braves. And that brought his numbers for the month of July up to 359 with five home runs and seven doubles for the month. So he and he's he's pretty much doing the things that I mean probably to a much greater extreme but doing the things that endeared us to him in the first place which is um hitting very well on balls in play which again unlike Yasmani Grandal <laughs> he does all the things that you you think would allow him to do that in terms of having some speed hitting to all fields uh hitting some line drives so you know, Herrera's got all that going for him. And we're seeing a little bit more power from him than I think is reasonable to expect going forward. But I also thought it was sort of unreasonable to think that because he struggled to hit for power earlier in the year that, you know, there, we should have no expectation of him improving going forward. So I, I think he'll find the happy medium. I think there's still some stolen base potential there for Herrera. So uh, he is right now very, very under-owned. Maybe... One of the most underowned hitters at this point. I mean, I've made that case at different points of time for Domingo Santana and Tommy Pham. Uh, I think that's not so much the case with those two hitters anymore. But Herrera, he's he's definitely one of the top targets. You need to go out and see if he's available in your league. So, a couple other hitters to get to. A bunch more pitchers to look at. And I'll keep my eyes on the latest uh, trade development. So stick around. I'm going to be right back. In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, just a little update on uh, some rotations uh, around Major League Baseball. Lance Lynn's still scheduled to start for the Cardinals. He's been involved in some trade rumors, but uh, he's still supposed to go uh, in just a a short while there uh, at Bush Stadium against the Diamondbacks and Taiwan Walker. Dan Straley made the start for the Marlins. That game's underway uh, at Marlins Park against the Reds. And uh, because I'm doing this show with y'all, um, I'm not uh, you know, catching these games in real time or anything, uh, at least not on, on television. Uh, but uh, apparently Dan Straley had a little bit of a of an injury scare, and this one uh, tried to... Uh, I'll just read you the tweet from MLB.com's Joe Frazzaro. 
Uh, Straley shaken up after making a sliding scoop flip to the plate on a Castillo bunt. The trainer's out uh, through a warm-up, staying in. Uh, and got several other writers uh, basically, you know, writing the same thing through a couple of, of warm-up pitches. Uh, so sounds like Dan Straley's okay, but, uh, you know, just the fact that he's in there in a way is kind of curious because it's been the on-again, off-again saga all week long. Uh, they're not trading him. The Marlins are trading him. They're not trading him. And I, I saw some things uh, as recently as, uh, I want to say last night, if it wasn't last night, that was this morning, about uh, the Marlins and the Brewers talking a possible Straley trade. But there he is in the game and uh, risking injury, but it sounds like at least on this particular play, dodged it. Uh, at least I certainly hope hope so. But uh, I'll keep an eye on that situation. Uh, but let's get back to uh, some of the Saturday performances. And as these we get deeper into these Sunday games, I'll, I'll check in on those uh, a little more in depth. But um, Ketel Marte, is uh, kind of working his way into being the Diamondbacks' regular shortstop. And it's really it seems to be coming at the expense of Brandon Drury with Chris Owings getting a little more playing time over at second base. Daniel Descalso in that mix there, too. Drury seems to be the, be the big playing time loser. But Marte, uh, he has made four of the last, last five starts at shortstop, and that includes uh, today's game against the Cardinals because Marte's in the lineup for that one. So that would make it four out of five at shortstop. But uh, Marte on Saturday hit his fourth home run of the season and also walked twice. And so over his last nine games, he has three home runs and a couple of doubles for slugging Cattell Marte. He's also hitting 276. Uh, so that's uh, kind of interesting. And also interesting, but much less positive, is over those nine games, he's not attempted a stolen base. So therefore, he does not have a stolen base. Uh, that's, you know, that's a hard one to make sense of because if you've taken a flyer on Marte, you most likely, I would think, did it for the steals help. But he seems to be giving you everything right now but the steals. The batting average is, is nearly okay, but... Uh, you know, you'll take that. You'll take that if it's coming with power and some steals potential. And I think that that potential ought to still be there. I mean, we all know from playing this game that steals can be very lumpy and clumpy. And, uh, you know, players who have established records as stolen base threats, they can go a few weeks without even trying one, much less getting one. So I'm not too concerned about that from Marte's perspective. I'm also, I also don't have the highest expectations either. I mean, I, I view him as kind of a, 20 stolen base per season guy, not a whole lot of upside beyond that. So, you know, if he goes a few weeks out of the stolen base, it's it's not like he can't reach that that pace. Um, but the power is very intriguing over this uh, short little span of time. So uh, Marte is uh, is definitely out there. He's getting the playing time. Could be a, uh, a shortstop or middle infield uh, option for you, especially in 14-15 uh, team mixed leagues. Probably not quite yet in a 12-teamer, although I wouldn't blame anybody for going out and stashing them. And I'd say on a little bit of a deeper format level, Alan Hansen is getting some playing time. And now with the Melky Cabrera trade, uh, you know, I don't see that changing. I mean, if, I think it reinforces it. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, that uh, Lurie Garcia is off the DL. So I think probably you, that's who you're going to see in the outfield corners for uh, for the White Sox. But uh, Hanson, uh, you know, the former second baseman, 
getting some some regular play. In fact, he's since Avisael Garcia went on the DL, Hansen has made all three starts in right field against uh, right-handers. Uh, and actually should check on the White Sox lineup to see if I can update that for you. Lurie Garcia is the leadoff spot. So yeah, we do have that new White Sox lineup. Lurie Garcia in the leadoff spot, uh, taking over for Melky Cabrera in left field. Uh, well, I'm kind of ruining my own analysis because it's the right-hander Josh Tomlin going for the Indians, and it's Willie Garcia getting the start in right field and batting eighth. So the big streak of three straight games against righties by Alan Hansen snapped by Willie Garcia. I do expect he'll get the bulk of the playing time. And and I did qualify this at the beginning by saying this is really pretty deep league stuff. But the, the key stats for Alan Hansen on Saturday, he went three for four. He hit his third double, stole his fifth base against the Indians. So Hansen's the sort of player that even with unreliable playing time, and I think that's that's a fair uh, way to determine it for Hanson. If he gets, say, four starts a week, which is, I think, about what I would expect, he could still help you with steals in deeper leagues where steals can be really, really hard to find. And Hanson is very widely available. So uh, that's uh, just another name to, to tuck away there if uh, you're looking for some deep league help. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the Marlins closer situation, Brad Ziegler being named by Don Mattingly as the Marlins closer. I would still keep an eye on some of those other names, and in particular, Drew Steckenrider, who's really put up some nice numbers in the minor leagues, uh, has been given a few shots to deal with some uh, higher leverage situations for the Marlins. So if uh, Ziegler can't stay healthy or if he struggles, uh, that's, that's a name to tuck away too. And I, I don't really worry so much about Ziggler. I think a lot of people are very down on Ziggler because he's a he's a contact pitcher. But I like him, and I like Alex Claudio. They're really kind of the same type. I mean, they at their best, they have extremely high ground ball rates, and you know, a strikeout certainly better than ground ball. <laughs> a strikeout can't find the the hole in the infield, but. Um, yeah, I think Zig, you know, the the type of pitcher that Ziggler or Alex Claudio is is, is kind of the next best thing. The lot of soft contact, so I would not write off Ziggler at all uh, in terms of having a chance. I just worry about how healthy and durable he be, he will be, given that he was on the DL for so long. Uh, clearly, Don Mattingly has some some confidence in him, but uh, he's certainly not your only option, and maybe not even your best option for saves. I'm certainly keeping an eye on what's going on with Brad Hand over the next 24 hours because uh, right now he is the Padres' closer, and if he stays with the Padres, he'll keep that role, I would assume, and he'll be really good. I mean, he's been really superb for the last couple of seasons. But if he gets traded, and I would also assume that if, if Hand gets traded, that he'll go to a team that's not going to use him as a closer. So that's why I have to be a little cautious in terms of picking up Brad Hand. I think the the closer in waiting there is Kirby Yates. Now, that, that may be a little misleading because just within the last couple of days, Andy Green, the manager of the Padres, has said that as of right now, that neither Hand nor Yates is, is the sole closer, that they're going with a committee that uh, also includes uh, Phil Maton 
and uh, I think uh, no, I think that's it. The other name I know he mentioned was uh, Carter Caps potentially later on uh, getting the call and maybe getting some save chances. But um, there are a number of names there consider in San Diego. But my guess is that Hand gets traded, and that Kirby Yates is gonna in that scenario. Kirby Yates would take the job and run with it because he's just been dominant consistent he's been outstanding uh now for uh i think it's at least a month maybe even more uh so kirby yates is another one again you know all these save candidates come with caveats they all come with risk in terms of uh you know well this player's got to get traded or that player's got to get got to stay healthy so kirby yates by no by no means is a uh you know uh, absolute foolproof pickup uh for saves and while I did say that I think that Brad Hand is probably going to get traded, it is not a sure thing. And John Heyman made the point on Twitter yesterday, Hand is controllable for a couple more years after this one. So the Padres, you know, they they want a big haul for Hand, and they should get it because he's excellent, he's controllable for two years after this one. Uh, that's worth a lot. And plus, you know, the Padres don't have to be desperate to get rid of him because they can have him for the next couple of years, you know, both to use as a closer and to to dangle as trade bait at, uh, you know, in the preseason, at the trade deadline, uh, you know, any various numbers of times for the next 24 months, basically. So um, it's it's not a given that Han's going to get traded. I just think there's enough of a market out there that, that something will get worked out. But yeah, I'm not John Heyman. <laughs> I'm not one of these uh, guys. So I'm just, I'm going based on what I see and what I read. Uh, and uh, it may not happen. So I like Kirby Yates a lot, but some caution is certainly warranted there in that situation. Uh, I think less so in the A situation, but they've got a committee going too. That's been a weird one where Santiago Casilla, uh, a few nights ago, blew a save, then took the loss, giving up back-to-back home runs to Justin Smoke and Kendris Morales. And then the next night, uh, I believe this was Friday, uh, that Blake Trainin got the save chance. And Kendris Morales got to him. <laughs> so it's committee time in Oakland. I'll get more into that after this upcoming break. So stick around. A little more closer talk on the other side. I'll be right back. In a sport where going 3 out of 10 will put you in the Hall of Fame, it goes without saying that playing baseball is pretty hard. That's why major leaguers are always looking for any edge that they can get. Daily Fantasy Baseball isn't any different. DailyRoto.com's premium MLB Daily Fantasy Sports service has been cited repeatedly by the world's best players as the service they trust the most for their information edge. Visit dailyroto.com slash premium and enter promo code daily for a special discount on all the information that you can handle. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. 
And uh, we're uh, just about rounding in to the second hour of our Sunday show here. So uh, stick around for that. Not only am I going to keep up to date with uh, all the latest uh, trade developments and and rumors and such, but uh, next hour going to have Jim Finch on to talk about uh, two-star pitchers, and we'll navigate that as best as we can. Uh, of course, rotations could be shifting uh, wildly over the next couple, uh, uh, next 24 hours or so, but a uh, few uh, pitchers that look like they're uh, not only set for two starts next week, but uh, are intriguing options. So Jim and I will deal with that in the next hour of the show. But let me get back to the closer talk. Uh, we'll get to the starters later. Sure. But um, right before the break, I talked about the uh, A's situation, which is getting a little bit cloudier by by the day uh, that you had uh, Santiago Casilla basically pitch his way out of the closers role, at least on a full time basis uh, with a a particularly bad stretch. But he's he's been pretty unreliable all season long. But Thursday was kind of the, the last straw for him. And then Blake training came in on Friday and and blew the save uh, thanks to a Kendris Morales solo homer. So uh, Bob Melvin right now says that he's got a committee going that includes both Casilla and Blake Trainin, as well as Ryan Dahl, who just recently came off of the disabled list. But then curiously enough, both of those pitchers, Dahl and Casilla, pitched on Saturday against the Twins and I think it was the sixth and seventh innings, but basically, you know, a middle relief type situation with a with a deficit. So very clearly a non-safe situation, and both Dull and Casilla were in there. So really, really odd situation. And I guess if you could take anything away from that, it's that uh, Melvin was maybe saving training either for the ninth in case the A's rallied or maybe just saving him for today if the A's uh, had to save opportunity or maybe there's nothing to be read into that it's it's a confusing confusing situation but i do like training the best of the three i mean there at this point santiago casilla there's he just really would have to have a pretty dramatic turnaround i think to really gain the confidence of melvin and to, to pitch well enough to do so and training's been really good i mean he Certainly had his struggles this year with the nationals but when he started off the year as the nationals closer i liked it uh, from a fancy perspective, he wasn't the ideal guy because while he's he's good as a strikeout pitcher, there are so many more that are better than him, and he's got some a history of some control issues. But he's a good ground ball pitcher, so maybe that's my theme for today. I like the ground ball closer, uh, Brad Ziegler, Alex Claudio, and Blake Trainin. Uh, I just think he's got the best shot of the three. So if we just kind of recap those three situations that I talked about, uh, Marlins the Padres and the A's. So you got Ziggler and for the moment, Brad hand and the uh, closers chair in those situations in Oakland. I think training's the guy to speculate on and then, you know, throw in Kirby Yates for good measure because Brad hand could be traded in the next 24 hours. Uh, I, I gotta say, I, I think I like training the best of those because I mean, if, if hand gets traded, then it's Yates because you've got a clear closer there in San Diego. But as of this very second, uh, and I'm not going to make any moves at this very second, first of all, because I'm doing a show, but also just because I want to wait and see what happens. Uh, but as of right now, if things don't change, I think Trainin's got the best shot to not be challenged for saves in his current situation and be good while, while doing it. So my two cents on the current closer situations 
Time to head into break again. Head back for the second hour of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. So I hope you will enjoy. You will, I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you will join me for the next hour. I'll be right back. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome back for our number two of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melfior. So, happy Sunday. Happy day before the trade deadline day. And also, failed to mention the first segment or the first hour, happy Hall of Fame induction day, too. So, lots going on around baseball today. Uh, also, lots going on uh, in terms of trades and uh, things going on the lineups. Uh, the, the big trades, of course, so far, Melky Cabrera going from the White Sox to the Royals for a couple of pitching prospects. And earlier in the day, Jaime Garcia uh, headed from the Twins uh, to the Yankees. So um, there could be more to come. Have not seen anything more on Sonny Gray. Uh, he was rumored uh, to be potentially on the move also to the Yankees. Um, not starting today for Oakland. Uh, instead, he got Jarrell Cotton there. So all kinds of things that uh, I'll need to check back on in the next hour. One thing I won't need to check on is the weather. Of course, we've got many games already underway, but even for uh, the later games today and including a couple of night games, virtually no chance of precipitation anywhere. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, this is from Roto-Grinders' uh, Kevin Roth. The only place that has even a 1% chance of precipitation, and it is literally 1%, is San Diego, America's best weather, right? <laughs> They're hosting the Pirates. Uh, so uh, that's at uh, 1.40 Pacific time. So you certainly don't have to worry about that with your lineups. However, if you are counting on Mark Trumbo today, count no more. He has been scratched from the Orioles lineup with a back issue. So uh, he was slotted to be the DH. And instead, Trey Mancini has been slid over from left field to DH. And Craig Gentry is now your starting left fielder for the Orioles today. Uh, Gentry's going to bat ninth. Mancini moved into the uh, cleanup spot. So a uh, couple of names there to think about for your daily lineup uh, pleasure there. Uh, Trey Mancini and Craig Gentry. Uh, all right. Well, uh, lots to come. In the second hour, as I mentioned uh, just before the end of the last hour, going to have Jim Finch from FanRag Sports to talk about two-star pitchers. He has been working very diligently on that column. Not sure if it's up yet. I'll check that over the next break. Uh, but if you can't uh, get to your computer to read that, then, um, you know, listen up uh, when Jim joins me in just a little while because we're going to go over some of the tougher two-star dilemmas for uh, the coming week. We've got some standout pitching performances from Saturday's games to break down and uh, take a live look in with some of the ongoing games uh, from the, the Sunday schedule. So lots to come. And uh, as I mentioned, anything that happens trade-wise, 
I'll be hopefully the first to tell you. So I'll certainly be keeping my eyes on that in the next uh, 55 minutes. So stick around. I'll be right back after this short break. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Welcome back. You're listening to FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, it's been a little more than an hour on the show here. There's been so much going on. We haven't even had a chance to look at yesterday's standout pitchers. So that is very much what I intend to do uh, for this segment. And uh, if it goes over, we'll uh, pick that right up a little bit later on. But... uh, it was, uh, you know, not uh, a great day for standout performances, but the ones that were interesting were very, very interesting. And uh, perhaps none more so than Kevin Gosman just barely missing a shutout uh, against Texas Rangers. Went eight and two-thirds, scoreless, uh, gave up seven hits and three walks, and got eight strikeouts. And now, uh, over his last three starts, uh, he's just been sensational he's only allowed one run uh over those three starts so just uh saying well he's pitched three quality starts in a row that that grossly understates uh how dominant gosman has been lately and uh, over those three starts he's gone 20 and two-thirds innings he struck out 24 batters um i think it's fair to take the matchups into account with this one because he's faced the rangers twice they were the first and the third in that uh, string of three sandwiching uh, a start against the rays and the rays are uh, a team that just strikes out a whole ton so uh i'm not putting a, a great amount of stock in the strikeouts but by the same token strikeouts are not the thing that i worry about with kevin gosman it's actually the last thing i worry about so you know he could be one of these pitchers uh you know kind of the denelson lamette model and Lamette had a good start yesterday too by the way um where the strikeouts can be a constant and that doesn't necessarily mean he's being good or being particularly helpful to fantasy owners but uh the control's been good enough keeping the ball in the park uh if those things are going for Gosman then he's he's pretty much golden and the frustrating thing about about Gosman over you know what now is really several years really past the point where you know we're looking at him as you know this young up and comer, uh, where he's displayed all these qualities, but very rarely all at the same time, which is part of what makes him a perennial breakout pick. You know that, and the fact that you know he's a former first rounder and all kinds of upside potential, but the fact that you know we we've seen the complete package from him, kind of splintered up into different pieces at different times. Uh, and yet, you know, we've we've seen him put it together at different points. I mean, I think we've even seen it this season for maybe a couple of starts at a shot. I know we've certainly seen it at various points over the previous two seasons. 
So that's what, what makes Gosman both very, very tempting as uh, somebody to, to try to pick up, and at the same time, very scary. And I had a, uh, I, I started some some talks with uh, an owner who owned Gosman. Uh, this was actually in Tout Wars recently, and I think it was after one of his bad starts. So this is probably about four or five starts ago. And just couldn't quite get it done. And I really regret not pushing a little harder on it. Obviously now, you know, with those three three starts in the in the rearview mirror, um, you know, it's easy for me to say that. Yeah, I wish I had offered a little bit more. But then again, I mean, the same things that scared me off from doing that in the first place. I mean, they're still there. I mean, he could, we've seen this before from Gosman, where he puts two, three, maybe four or five good starts in a row, and, and it kind of falls apart for him. So I don't know that that he's necessarily any less risky. And the fact that he's had some matchups of late that, uh, you know, the Rangers, I don't want to say they're a good matchup because they're kind of high reward, high risk. They can strike out a lot. They're not good against lefties, which is not going to be an issue when we're talking about Gosman. But, um, you know, there's kind of good and bad in those matchups with the Rangers. And the same thing is true, actually, with the with the Rays. A lot of power there, but also not a whole lot of contact. So Gosman got through those starts with all the strikeouts you'd hope for and none of the damage. I don't know that it means anything. I'm not convinced. And I'm also not convinced yet by Herman Marquez. And I am pretty sure I had said on this show about a week ago, very specifically about Marquez, that I expected him to be really good week before this one. Because he had he had really good matchups. He had the Pirates and the and the Padres. I mean that this that's not like the Rangers and the and the Rays where there's considerable downside to go with the considerable upside. I mean those are just for a right-handed pitcher, really for any pitcher, but especially a right-handed pitcher, those are just really good solid matchups. Padres even that's an understatement for them, right? Uh, but I figured he might be in a little bit of trouble, or maybe more than a little bit of trouble, facing the Nationals on Saturday. And Marquez just kept right going. A seven-inning start for Marquez with just two runs allowed on only three hits and no walks and 10 big strikeouts for Herman Marquez uh, at Nationals Park. So that is now his fourth quality start in a row. There are the two that I mentioned from the previous week, Pirates and the Padres. And then the one that started this chain was against the White Sox, who have been pretty dreadful against right-handed starters. So you got the Nationals, who he totally dominated, and then that preceded by three starts that you would expect Marquez would be very good against. Now, the one thing that might sway you a little bit into giving more weight into those three prior starts is that they were all at Coors Field. And if your name is not Kyle Freeland, I'm going to have some worries about you at Coors Field. I don't know why Freeland is so good at Coors Field. He just is. <laughs> he just is. Uh, but Marquez handled those lineups at Coors Field. So you could look at this in all sorts of different ways. You could say, ah, well, Marquez did great against the, the Nationals, so he was just a good pitcher doing what good pitchers do, which is take advantage of easy matchups. Or you could say, well, the Nationals are not at full strength. Um you know, that's something that I, I do think about. Although, I mean, this this iteration of the Nationals lineup has still been able to to be productive. So, uh, 
I'll just go back to how I started off this whole conversation by saying that I'm really no more convinced with Marquez than with Gosman. I may even be slightly less convinced because, as I said before, with Kevin Gosman, we've got the track record of inconsistency, but that inconsistency has included stretches where Gosman has been very good and shown a very well-rounded skill set. You know, we've seen that from Marquez on this level now for, for four starts. Now, this coming week, he's going to be back at Coors Field against the Mets. And as long as they don't make any more big moves, um, I mean, if they move Jay Bruce, that's certainly a hit to the lineup. But I think as currently constituted, the Mets at Coors Field, that's, that's a potentially dangerous start. So, you know, Neil Walker's back in the lineup. There are some big power bats there. Um, there are some holes as well, but uh, that, that's a potentially very dangerous lineup at Coors Field. Um, so if Marquez does well in that one, if he has a similar type of start, I'm going to be much more bought in. So I, you know, I think the thing to do is if if I've got room or if you've got room on your roster to stash him, might be a good idea to do it now um, because... After that start at Coors Field, if it's really good, if it's like this one against the Nationals, it's going to be really, really hard to pick up Herman Marquez. Um, again, that that's a very kind of qualified statement because I don't have room in a lot of my leagues, and I suspect you don't either. So it just might be where you're going to just have to watch this start really carefully and have your finger on the on the button to add him to make that fab bid. But he'll be cheaper right now, I think, than he could potentially be next week with that start uh, back at Coors Field against the Mets. So, uh, yeah, that's just a situation you got to check out for yourself and see, you know, I think we all at some point have some dead wood in our rotation or on our benches, the guy that we picked up for two starts that uh, we can ditch or the pitcher that we took a flyer on that has disappointed us. Um, I wonder if that pitcher for me is going to be R.A. Dickey after today. Um, he's got the Phillies, so that could be a really nice start for R.A. Dickey. But, uh, you know, that's somebody that if it doesn't go really, really well for him, uh, you know, I'll prob- probably ditch him. Uh, I have to check in on that one. I think don't think there was a whole lot of scoring in that game. That's Dickey and Velasquez uh, at Philadelphia. So uh, got a break coming up very shortly. I will definitely check in on that one for you. But, uh, yeah, if you've got, uh, you know, somebody of that ilk, uh on your bench or in your rotation that's potentially expendable, then Marquez might be a good way to fill fill that spot. Um, just got to check that one out. So anyhow, got some other really intriguing performances to break down. That is going to have to wait because after I come back from the break that we're going to have very shortly here, I'm going to be joined by Jim Finch, and we got some really interesting two-start dilemmas to consider. So uh, hopefully you'll Stay with me and uh, consider them with me and a couple of widely owned pitchers that I don't feel too good about starting this week. Really interested to hear what Jim has to say about these two guys. uh, Reveal those mystery pitchers on the other side of the break. So anyways, time to head out for a few minutes. I'll be right back. See you on the other side. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, 
deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and it is that time, that time of the week, that time of the show to start pitcher time. And joining me for that, naturally, uh, the author of the weekly two-star pitcher column at FanRag Sports, none other than Jim Finch. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that great introduction. (laughs) <laughs> glad glad you liked it. Uh, uh, Well-deserved. <laughs> so uh, well, let's let's get on with the two-star pitchers and uh, kind of teased right before the break. There's a couple, couple of very highly owned starters uh, that I really I want nothing to do with this week. Uh, they're Jake Arrieta and Alex Cobb. I mean, Arrieta in particular owned pretty much everywhere. Um, so I'm very, very interested to get your take on them. Uh, Arietta's, uh at home against the Diamondbacks and Nationals, so I don't think uh, anybody needs to be convinced of the the danger in those matchups. And Cobb's at the Astros and at home versus the Brewers. So tough matchups for a couple of pitchers who have, uh, on the surface, had great fantasy stats lately. Yeah, Rita is actually, he's uh, actually come around, actually, the past five starts. He's looked a little better to where a month ago we were looking at him going, yeah, I don't know if we should start this guy, but he's actually worked up enough credit with the last few starts to where I think he's, he's no longer a sit, and he's no longer someone to question, but I don't know if he's somebody that I feel 100 complete safe putting him in my lineup. I mean, I can see him maybe giving up two, three runs to Arizona. Washington's the hotter team right now to worry about, but... Overall, I would probably start him. I just wouldn't expect lights out start, you know, lights out start for him for either of the matchups. But overall combined, I think you can get good numbers. But Alex Cobb, he's the one I'm actually more intrigued with, and I don't see any question in whether or not you should start Cobb. I think he should definitely be in there. If you look at his last nine starts, he's got at least six innings in all of them. He's allowed more than three runs just once, and he's held opponents to two or less than seven of those eight. A lot of people will look at the Astros, and I'm one of them, that thinking, you know, this is probably not a good matchup. And if this were two weeks ago, that would probably be true. But since that time, they've lost Carlos Correa to the DL, George Springer's on the DL. That just basically leaves one of three players with Altuve in the heart of that order that you really have to fear. And I think that can mentally play on the hitters on the Astros, as well as to the psyche for the pitchers going against them. I mean, less of a threat. I think he should be all right. He, he'll be able to attack the other hitters a little bit differently. And the Milwaukee game's in Tampa Bay, and he's got great numbers in Tampa, which kind of deflates some of their home run prowess. So I would definitely start Cobb. Yeah, well, you make a good point about the Astros lineup. And, and the retort that I kind of have ready for that is, well, you know, you, you've got Derek Fisher, 
uh, you know, who probably sees much more playing time, knowing that that Springer's going to be out. You got Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, he was playing pretty regularly anyway, but you figure he's he's pretty much locked in with Correa out or, or close to it. So it's it's certainly it's a worse lineup, but it's still I think a very good one. Uh, but oh, my my issues still definitely yeah, good. Yes. Yeah, but no, my issues. You know, I, I don't want to. Uh, uh, you know, oversell that, <laughs> that argument too much. It's definitely a worse lineup. My issues are more with Cobb. And um, I, I had a segment on Thursday show with Nando DeFino called by that BABIP, uh, where I had four pitchers who were going very, very well, all with BABIP rates that were, you know, like right around 200 and Cobb was one of them. So over that nine start stretch, uh, he's got eight quality starts. I think you mentioned that a uh, 224 ERA, just 38 strikeouts over 64 and a third innings, which is very low. But with two starts, I think that that is much less worrisome. But he's here's here's the number, Jim, that worries me about Cobb. Over those nine starts, he's got a 36% hard contact rate, where a rate around 30% is pretty normal. Um, so, you know, I I, I don't know, I just I agree. I think the the matchups are much more difficult for Arietta. But I just I think Cobb to me looks like somebody who's going to come down to earth at some point and that these two lineups might be just good enough to make that happen. I mean, does that, you know, does that uh, profile worry you at all? No, because I've learned all too well over the years that when players get on some sort of a hot streak, you just ride it until they fall off. We can't just sit there and bench guys on what they could do or how they might regress. If they're not showing the signs of regression yet, then you just got to keep running them out there. I mean, yes, you run the risk because of the low Babbitt that he could blow up, but I'm not benching someone for what he could do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start him based on what he has been doing. Well, that's then that's fair enough. And uh, on that note, you've just given me a great segue to kind of uh, circle back to something that I uh, mentioned before you came on, which was R.A. Dickey. And I was saying that to me, this start against the Phillies is a real litmus test for him because he had been going really well. Um, but his last start was was awful. <laughs> and uh, so far, pretty good for Dickey against the Phillies. Uh, two innings, no runs, one hit, a couple of walks, though, which is a little worrisome. But uh Maybe I can keep Ari Dickey going for another week. You know, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't expect him to keep doing this the rest of the season, but as long as he is doing it, um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep Ari Dickey around. And, and and then maybe we can also keep Alex Cobb around for another week because he does have you know two starts to uh, if one goes badly, you know the other one can can always bail him out. Uh, how about Mike Fires? Uh, he's he's been going you know pretty well the last uh, several weeks uh, overall. He's got the Rays, who strike out a lot, and the Blue Jays, who just really haven't been all that good offensively. So uh, is that enough uh, to make Fires a, uh, a safe start? Yeah, I basically lump them right there with Cobb. I mean, they both have been strong over the past 10, 10 starts. He has seven of his past 10 where he's held teams at two or under. And like you said, Tampa Bay and Toronto, they really aren't much offensively this week. So, I mean, for the month and basically for the season. So I would start him, but um, I'm not sure if he's going to get that second start because you're getting mixed mixed reactions from A.J. Hinch. I mean, he says that Brett Peacock is back in the, was going back to the bullpen, but 
He also said it was only a temporary situation, and he hinted that he could start this week. And if that does happen, if he's trying to, like, stretch out the rotation, give everybody an extra day, that could knock fires off of that Sunday start. I would still start him because I like the Tampa Bay one, but don't start him counting on both starts because you don't you don't know what Houston's going to do right now. And with the injuries they've had, they may want to start Peacock in there just to give the extra day's rest to their pitching staff. Well, that's really inconvenient. <laughs> uh so well so uh I mean, do you think fires is just okay that if he just gets the raise as a one-star pitcher yeah i i I like him but there are so many good two-start matchups this week to where if you really need the innings and you have other guys in there if he's only going to get one and you have something a little bit better maybe go with one of your other two-start options but i would still start him with one Okay, well, I know we've got uh, a few other pitchers, uh, you know, that we we've you know basically agreed to talk about. But since you you know you've you've kind of framed it that way, is there one in particular uh, on you know that's likely to be on waivers that you would prefer over Mike Fires? Uh, for two start guys, yeah, or just in general one start. Uh, I tell you what, whatever comes to mind, one start or two start. I'm looking down the list. Maybe, uh, no, he's, is Manea? No, is not starting on her. Kent, maybe Medea if he's out there because he's got two decent matchups. He's only going to go five innings, but. <laughs> but if it's, you're trying to get to my eight, if it's a one start week with, with a 10 inning start, right? You know, that's the equivalent. Then, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. I, I like Maeda. He's got the Braves, uh, in Atlanta and then the, the Mets, uh, up at City Field. So, or even yeah, a more, that, probably a more probably a more uh, widely available one would be Patrick Corbin because his numbers are up and nobody's really buying into him. So he could be a sneaky one with the Giants and the Cubs. Uh, he's he's been doing well enough to where I think he could do well enough against the Cubs that could backfire. But the start against San Francisco, if he does do well against the Cubs, that one could be another sneaky stream. Yeah. No, I mean, he wasn't, to be honest, Corbin wasn't even on my radar as a dilemma because to me, it just seemed like he was somebody you clearly start and you clearly pick up if he's out there. So uh, I think that's a great call. Uh, all right. Well, we got about two minutes left. So I'm going to just kind of rapidly throw out three other names, Jim. Ian Kennedy, who's got the uh, Orioles on the road, Mariners at home. Paul Blackburn, who doesn't strike anybody out, but he's got the Giants at home and the Angels at Angel Stadium. So great matchups, great venues. And Matt Cain, uh, he's got the Oakland, he's got to Oakland at Oakland, uh, but then he's got the Diamondbacks at home. So good venues for Matt Cain. Uh, so Kennedy, Blackburn, Cain, uh, who, who can you trust in that group? I would say Blackburn. I mean, he's putting up at least quality start-type numbers, going at least six innings. He's not getting the strikeouts, but the ratios alone from the San Francisco and L.A. games should be enough to carry you. Kennedy, I, I know he's been doing a little bit better, but I just look at the home runs and his past track record, and it's, it's, it's more personal bias on me with Kennedy. I know he's going to get the strikeouts, but I don't trust anything else about his game. And Matt Cain? It's Matt King. It's it's a coin flip on what you're going to get with this guy. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely agree. Uh, I uh, certainly don't trust them, uh, and, and the Diamondbacks matchup worries me, uh, even though it's at AT&T Park. So I, I'm with you, Blackburn, in a two-start week. This is what that's made for. Guys that don't get strikeouts, give them a chance to double those up and, uh, and go deep into games. I, I like it. So, well, Jim, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me again and for uh, all the advice and knowledge, and uh, we'll see you on here again real soon. All right, thanks, Al. Talk to you later. <laughs> all right, take care. All right, folks. Uh, well, lots more to get to, so uh, stick around. We'll be back right after this break. In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions have turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, thanks again, and as always, to Jim Finch from FanRag Sports. Uh, check out his two-star pitcher column because we just uh, really scratched the surface there. But uh, there's some very, very interesting analysis there from Jim. He's all about uh, Alex Cobb this week. Like me, he's... Uh, Less than enthused about Jake Arrieta, although I think uh, Jim's a little more uh, uh, ready to to uh, pull the trigger on on go ahead and starting him with those uh, two tough matchups. Uh, and we agree that uh, Paul Blackburn and Kenta Maeda good to go this week. So, uh, but uh, for more, do go to FanRag and check out uh, Jim's weekly column on two start pitchers. Uh, Want to talk about some pitching performances from Saturday. But before that, let me update you on a few things going on right now. Cole Calhoun has exited uh, the Angels game against the Blue Jays with an apparent injury, uh, but I have yet to see an update as to what the actual injury is. Um, but uh, if you got Calhoun for next week, this doesn't look or sound good. Uh, so uh, I'll try to keep you updated uh, over the rest of the show if I see anything else, but nothing more specific as of yet. Um, as for Dan Straley, as I mentioned earlier, he uh, had a, sort of an awkward play earlier. Uh, there was some concern about injury. He stayed in the game. Would seem that he's fine because uh, he is uh, now pitched five full innings against the Reds and uh, having a pretty good start there, uh, giving up just two runs over the five innings with four strikeouts and a walk. But I think, I'm uh, not totally positive about this, but I think the two runs may have scored before the injury. So in any event, uh, that was back in the second inning when he gave up the run. So he's had three very good innings since then. So it sounds like Dan Straley is uh, probably out of the woods there in terms of any injury and also in terms of anything that could hold up a potential trade. Uh, now that Straley is, uh, last I read, back on the trade block. And uh, today was the Major League debut of Nationals pitching prospect Eric Fetty uh, at home against the Rockies. Doesn't look like it's gone especially well for him. The Rockies are up 4-1 to one in that one. 
And the line right now on Fetty is uh, three innings. Uh, yeah, it's the bottom of the uh, third in that one. So he's completed third, three innings. He's given up six hits and a walk for four runs. Does have three strikeouts, but uh, not an auspicious Major League debut for Eric Fetty. So uh, that is uh, the check-in for now on uh, the Major League action. Try to get uh, back to that at least one more time before the end of the show. But uh, let's get back to Saturday's action Already talked about uh, good starts from Kevin Gosman and Herman Marquez and how they both have sort of left me a little a little meh uh, because of uh, the inconsistencies that they've had. Uh, but I do think that Marquez, that there, there's, especially with him having had a good start against the Nationals, that there might be a little something there uh, to stash him and see how he does this coming week against the Mets. But I tell you who I don't need to wait on is Matt Boyd. Um, He has been really good in three starts since coming back up from the minors. And he did some promising work uh, there for AAA Toledo and has just kept it going uh, and against some good competition. So Boyd on Saturday against the Astros, and Jim and I went some great length kind of trying to figure out how to gauge this, this Astros lineup right now that's not at full strength, but, you know, still, still a pretty good lineup. And Matt Boyd had really no problem with the uh, the Astros whatsoever. Um, he went uh, seven and a third, gave up three runs on eight hits and no walks and five strikeouts. And it's the walks that really have me very interested in Boyd right now because he's been pitching with great control, which is something he did in spring training. And I was all about drafting Boyd, especially in deeper formats. I think I may have drafted him even in one twelve teamer, uh, just as kind of like a reserve round flyer, but, um, you know, dropped him wherever I had him pretty, pretty abruptly. I think I gave him three, maybe four weeks and it just uh, didn't go well for Boyd out of the gate. And, um, since he's been back in the Tigers rotation, he has three quality starts and three tries. He's thrown, 67% 67% of his pitches for strikes. He's thrown 14% of his pitches for swinging strikes. I mean, that's what you love to see. And, you know, what? what's the difference between Boyd and, say, Gosman or Marquez? I mean, in terms of comparing it with Marquez, I mean, I just think that Boyd gave you more reasons as a minor leaguer to, to have some interest. As compared to Gosman... Uh, you know, that's a tougher call because, like I said, Gosman, you know, comes with all of the, the hype that he has had as a prospect. There's a much more extended track record of Gosman showing off good skills at, at various points in time, at some points even displaying those skills at the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, for Boyd, yeah, I don't know. I mean, should I be valuing him more than Gosman? I, you know, maybe there's a little bit of bias there against Gosman because we've seen so much more negative from Kevin Gosman over the last few years. Uh, so it just scares me off a little more. And with Boyd, it seems like there's a little bit more, or maybe a kind of a something closer to a linear pattern. And it's not totally linear because he's had good stats in the minors. He's had fits and starts in the majors and got, gone back and forth between the majors and AAA. He had a great spring, which I probably shouldn't be giving much weight to at all. But, you know, there was kind of a building narrative there about Boyd getting ready to break out. And maybe it's just that he hasn't disappointed me as many times as Gosman. But uh, I think the thing is just Boyd's just more available. I think if Boyd and Gosman were both on waivers, 
I don't know that I, well, let me, let me uh, challenge myself to answer this question. Who would I take if they were both on waivers? Ugh, I got to say, I, and I, I, I think it's Boyd. Um, and maybe that's dumb. <laughs> maybe that's dumb. Because I totally recognize that it's just I have this hesitation to invest in Gosman because of, of past disappointments. But to me, it just seems like it's, it's a little bit more of a linear pattern with, with Boyd. Um, but we'll, you know, I'm going to see if I can get Boyd, uh, tonight in some weekly fabs. We'll see how that works out. I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Kyle McHugh in that same game, pitching for the Astros, also a good game, uh, going six innings and just allowing one run, uh, just one walk, only four hits and seven strikeouts. So very, very nice line against the Tigers. I'm not particularly interested in McHugh, though. I give some credit to the Tigers matchup. They don't hit righties very well. And in these two starts since coming off the DL, McHugh has been an extreme fly ball pitcher. I think at some point, if he keeps that going, that he's going to pay for that dearly. He has gotten ground balls at just a 21% rate over these two starts. I know it's a small sample, but that's kind of part of the point is that. Uh, I'd like to see more from McHugh. He was great a few years back. Um, you know, sort of a streamer type the last couple of seasons. And I'm not sure that he's any more than that now, just because he's had a, a nice start against the Tigers. Uh, those fly balls really, really concern me. So not taking any action on McHugh yet, unless he's out there in you know, pretty much like an AL only league. Uh, Adam Conley's been intriguing too. So we've got a, a number of uh, players that are either coming back from the minors, coming back from the DL, Conley, one of those. And he, too, has been very good and very consistent since coming back from uh, AAA. Against the Reds, he went seven and two-thirds innings, gave up just two runs on five hits and two walks with seven strikeouts. Uh, so really nice start for Conley. Uh, three straight quality starts for him. Uh, back-to-back ones with seven-plus innings, a 174 ERA. So the numbers just keep going. 67% strike uh, thrown rate, just the same as Matt Boyd. And, you know, these are both pitchers, Boyd and Conley, who have shown some strikeout potential in the past. So, um, you know, when I see them getting strikeouts, that helps a lot. Both have also had control issues in the past, so it's really, really encouraging to see them throwing strikes at such an incredibly high rate, even if it is a really small sample. Now, the difference between how Boyd's been doing it and how Conley's been doing it is that Boyd's been getting the swing and miss at a very high rate. Conley, not so much, only 8%, but he's getting 20% called strikes. So he's he's pounding the zone. Uh, he's not getting a lot of swings. So it's, it's, a, it's a way to, to succeed. It's one I trust a little less than just having the pure dominating, dominating stuff that, that hitters can't make contact with. But uh, it's intriguing nonetheless. So over 20 and two-thirds innings for Conley in his three starts, he has just 15 strikeouts, which is, you know, it's not terrible. But it's uh, not, I would say, eye-opening either. But only four walks. And that is, for Conley and all of his control issues in the past, that's great to see. So I wouldn't mind having Conley either. But uh, if I could prioritize, let's just say these five, if they were all on waivers. And I doubt Gosman's going to be on waivers in very many leagues. But uh, I would put Boyd at the top, then Gosman, then... Hmm. Let's see. 
I'm going to say then Marquez, then Conley, then McHugh. And like I said, I'm not really bought in on Marquez, but if he if he does really well against the Mets, I will be bought in. So in terms of like taking an action right now and trying to to roster somebody right now, uh, I would put Marquez ahead of Conley, uh, just because the the past uh, control issues do worry me a bit. But uh, you know, and the lack of strikeouts relative to what uh, you know I would expect from Conley, slightly concerning. But McHugh definitely at the bottom of the pile there with that 21% ground ball rate from uh, from those last two starts. But I think all uh, you know all are certainly worth a look in some sort of format. So uh, you know, see how they each of them does in their next start. Anyhow, gotta head back to great break. When we come back, take another look in at some of the ongoing action, so don't go anywhere. It's the summer, but you can already feel the howl of the winter wind. You don't want to go to the beach. You want to break out that heavy coat and head for the stadium parking lot because nothing makes you feel warmer than football season. But you don't have to wait for the calendar to flip a few times at rotoexperts.com where fantasy football season has already started. The award-winning team at Roto Experts has you ready for the new campaign with the return of the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package for 2017. Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to rotoexperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code FREERADIO at checkout for a very special discount. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I've uh, got a, uh, another injury update for you. I mentioned before Cole Calhoun got hurt. Haven't seen anything more on that. But now Chris Owings uh, was hit on the hand uh, trying to attempt a bunt. So it appears he is out of the game for the Diamondbacks. So I'm going to check in and, and try to confirm that. But it uh, appears that uh, Chris Owings has been hurt with that uh, hit by pitch. Uh, Diamondbacks, by the way, leading the Cardinals 2 nothing right now. Uh, Lance Lynn pitching in that one still. No news. No trade news, in fact, uh, since uh, seeing that uh, Melky uh, Cabrera deal, at least no big ones. Uh, as, for, as far as Owings is concerned, he has exited uh, the game and has been replaced by Daniel Descalso. So uh, that's certainly uh, going to be impactful for uh, the coming week as you set your lineups. I uh, saw some nice uh, stolen base potential there for Chris Owings next week, uh, but uh, may have to look for an alternative there uh, for him. And uh, so uh, as far as that goes, like I said, 2 nothing Arizona in that game. And uh, just checking in around uh, the majors right now. Reds uh, are still up 2-0 on the Marlins. Like I said, Dan Straley in that one. Luis Castillo, liking the Marlins, has only given up two hits 
in that one. But last I looked, not a lot of strikeouts for Castillo. Yeah, he's just got three strikeouts in five and a third innings against the team that uh, traded him away. I believe uh, four, Dan Straley, if I'm remembering that one right. Razor up on the Yankees, uh, four to three. So it's been a rough outing for both Jacob Feria and uh, also for uh, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, but Montgomery does, uh, Montgomery, in fact, long gone from that game. He only lasted two and two-thirds innings, did get five strikeouts. Um, in the uh, Sunday Streamers piece, I wrote that Montgomery could be good for strikeouts but may not last long. But I have to admit, feared he'd make it out of the third inning in that one. Luis Sessa is uh, in relief in that one and uh, holding the, the Rays, uh, keeping them steady at, at four runs. Faria, on the other hand, he's got eight strikeouts in just four innings, but he's given up three runs. So not a terrific start for either one. Angels up on the Blue Jays, seven to four. Tigers and the Astros, a bit of a pitcher's duel there with uh, Justin Verlander uh, blanking the uh, the Astros right now. And Lance McCullers uh, have not been able to watch this one, but sounded like he was off to sort of a rough start. But he's got a nice line. Four innings, just one run allowed on four hits and two walks. Um, and not uh, not a horrific, uh, in fact, a pretty good uh, strikes-to-ball ratio. He's thrown uh, 73 pitches, uh, 48 strikes. So if he had a rough start to that one, looks like McCullers has really recovered very nicely in that one. Um, I did not want any part of McCullers today uh, for this matchup. And looks like, uh, you know, he's pretty very much holding his own against uh, Justin Verlander. And Verlander still issuing a lot of walks. Four and two-thirds innings, three walks for Justin Verlander. Um, so well, it's a good result against what, again, they've put out a nice lineup today, the Astros, even without George Springer and Carlos Correa. Um, and despite the three walks, Justin Verlander really, uh, you know, holding his own, uh, you know, and, and, and then some, uh, against, uh, against the Astros, by the way, in that one, you got Tyler white at first base. And speaking of some other surprising additions to lineups, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Mitch Hanniger to the DL, Leonis Martin getting the call up for the Mariners. He's uh, playing right field and batting ninth, so maybe a new stolen base source there for you to get interested in. Uh, well, that is the end of this show. Thank you very much for uh, joining me today. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow with Fan Rags' Greg Jewett, and uh, we'll hopefully have a lot.